0: You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. Today, I'm joined with a good friend of mine, uh, Father Samuel Thorpe. He is an Anglican priest with the Church of England, so I think we're going to have quite a stimulating conversation today. Sam, thanks for joining me, brother.
1: Thanks for
0: having me, Jeff. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people know my position uh, on faith and religion. I'm not a Christian uh, by any means, but I tend to identify with the faithful of whatever religion it happens to be uh, that they're a part of, uh, mainly because they have a, a straightforward set of principles and morals and ethos that they live by. And You know, something we see today in society is that uh, people kind of bend their ethos to basically please everyone as to not make waves. But it's refreshing to see uh, members of various faiths kind of stand as a stalwart against the tide.
1: Well, I think that one of the things that having a faith gives you is that foundation for everything that you're going to do. So whether it's Christianity or Islam or even Hinduism or other faiths, you have a core set of principles which help you to operate within the world around you. If you don't have that, then you have to try and develop some other worldview or systems um, to help you make your choices and things. And being honest, most people are influenced by the people they're around. So if they're around someone that really hates heavy metal, they'll probably kind of talk more about classical. If they're around someone that loves jazz, they'll be like, oh, yeah, Miles Davis was great here for an example. Uh, I think that's one of the things that helps a lot of people with faith. It gives them much structure and the integrity to their lives that then makes developing themselves as a person a lot easier, rather than having to try and create everything from scratch.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, people crave patterns, they crave structure, they crave straight lines, because uh, without it, you know, everything's just chaos. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, chaos isn't Inherently bad chaos, you know, especially if you look at it from like a pre-cosmogonic kind of standpoint chaos Has potential to be good or bad But from that chaos some kind of order needs to be established For you know people to be able to thrive and function
1: And that's exactly what you see in the beginning of uh, the stories in scripture Uh, You have the, the chaos of the primordial world And then God sort of brings order out of it and separates out light from darkness and so on and so forth. It's not necessarily about did this literally happen in seven days. It's about the idea of a potential being shaped and created. And that having been shaped and created, there are certain things which it works well to operate within. Such as the principles of the faith. So... I think it's one of those things where, although I'm coming at this from the perspective of being someone who believes in Jesus and has happy experiences and the thinking and the studying that I've done, and you're not, we can still sort of identify a common. Yes, this is a good aspect for people to have.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I grew up a Southern Baptist, uh, and it was kind of forced upon. It was kind of forced upon me. I was in church the three times a week, mandatorily. Yeah. But that particular faith was just something that I never felt pulled to, so it's not something I could, in good faith pun intended uh kind of leap forward or lean into uh mm-hmm. as it were, without feeling hypocritical myself. but the core principles but be- behind all religions I believe is can be boiled down to four words <laughs> in a sense is that you know don't be a dick yeah but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what is it? There's there's a, a guy who was quite popular with some people when I was at college. who talked about the it's got like a funny an acronym. It's the human propensity to f things up, and that was how he was trying to articulate the concept of sin and sinfulness. It's not so much. I mean, yes, you're in a, a reality where, shift a Christian faith is true, it acknowledges that all things are flawed and not as they were intended to be but the idea that we all have the potential to f things up um is quite a helpful one for people to reflect on as a, oh okay so rather than you calling me a sinful person you're saying that when i did this thing which went wrong and actually because i didn't get the grades or i didn't do this my life hasn't turned out the way i wanted it to that was an actual example of the time where i had the potential to mess things up and ideas and that could be changed. It's an interesting angle on an old idea. Yeah, I like that. It's,
0: uh, you know, it's pretty much self-explanatory, you know. Um, So, let's give a little bit of background on you, man. Uh, What, have you always been interested in becoming a priest, or what kind of, I mean, I don't think, I don't think any, yeah, I don't think anybody starts off saying, you know what, going to be a priest. But, yeah, um, very much it's definitely, not. it's definitely something that, you know, you had to have been called to at some point. So what mm-hmm. kind of brought all that about?
1: Well, so my name is Samuel, which, uh, the meaning of which means one who is called by God or heard by God or who hears God. So I always say that was like, I was doomed from the start. Well, that's not ironic at all. Is it? Um, no, especially with my deafness as well, being one who hears God whilst being deaf has always had a good sense of irony. I like that. Um, but my my father is a priest in church of england and where we grew up in rural devon uh, all of my friends parents were farmers and the one that wasn't his father was an accountant or a car mechanic uh, that was my class and they were all going to grow up to do the jobs that their fathers did and so they would sort of look around the class and be like so sam are you going to be a vicar one day?" and i was always like no i'm going to do my own thing So I actually stood up when I was about eight years old in front of a whole uh, school at the end of school service uh, in church with my family there and um, we were talking about what you wanted to be when you grew up and I said I wanted to be a BIM man because I couldn't think of anything more different than being a vicar. Um, My mum's father was also a priest so it kind of runs in the family as it were and it turns out through some recent digging around in family trees that my great great uncle on my dad's side was also a priest in church of england so there's plenty of it around but it means that i had to grow up going to church every sunday um listening to my dad preach which was great because he's actually a really good preacher and he's good at his theology but like you said it was sort of a kind of you go along because your parents bring you up in that way and so i was like well is this actually what i want to is this what I believe? Am I Anglican? Am I, should I maybe be a Baptist? Should I be a Catholic? Um, I was pretty sure that God was there. That was always sort of not something I was too worried about. It was more a case of how do I understand God? Um, long story short, I had a relationship when I was quite young that started when I was 14 ended when I was 17. And uh, the breakup of that relationship completely broke my heart and I was studying philosophy at the same time. So a combination of sort of teenage emotional angst combined with uh, intro to philosophy class um, meant I read Descartes and all, uh, Love The Matrix, all of those kind of things. And I started really thinking about this idea of how do we know what around us is real? And um, I had this interesting experience where I was sat in my bedroom thinking about, um, I think therefore I am, um, and various other things that we've been doing in class and doubting whether or not I could trust the experience of my own thinking. And as I sat there, I remember my uh, notebook I had on the wall, which had like my calendar and my plans and stuff for when different assignments are in, just kind of vanished. And the whole room around me vanished and sort of went, not black, but into nothingness. And there was this really odd sense of just, not being and for a while there was this odd noise i couldn't quite figure out what this noise was and then suddenly i realized it was a rhythm and it was murmuring and it was going on and it then clicked into english and i realized it was the sound of my own thoughts and what was interesting was i was then thinking and i was like well clearly i'm thinking clearly somehow i am and so i had this sort of profound sense of i really don't believe that we're in a simulation or just like a computer simulating something in a computer in a computer in a computer turtles all the way down i don't believe that I believe that somehow there is something actually sustaining all of my reality and that was sort of a real turning point for me is like okay so there's definitely something out there from my experience here how do i engage with that how do i wrestle with that so i took my philosophy and i then went off and i studied theology for three years um got a first class degree in it and i've since studied for another master's which in the event i didn't complete before doing another master's on theology so i spent about seven years studying and exploring all of these different concepts and in the midst of all of that people are like well you like theology you enjoy articulating it and having had some Emotional difficulties in the past. I often empathized quite well with others that were in difficult places. Um, so I ended up doing a role that was pastoral work, making sure that people didn't kill themselves at university. Basically, um, no one did, so that was good. And so yeah, that's, like, that's yeah, always a good, that's always a good it thing. It's always a good thing. Um, touch and go, but no one died, so it was good. Um, and so people are like you should really consider this. And then what happened that made me go, okay, I will explore this, was my granddad died, the one that was a, a priest. And I was asked if I would do the prayers at the funeral. And if a priest dies at his funeral, you have a lot of priests. And so um, after the service, I mean, I just prayed prayers I thought my that would appreciate about his life, but also um, about what God does for us and stuff. And I had, no joke, six or seven priests come up to me afterwards and say, those prayers were really powerful if you ever consider getting ordained. And after the first one I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't really want to get ordained. By the time seven separate people have come up to you and said, you know, I really think that you've got something here that maybe God wants to use, you have to sort of go, oh, okay. So I went through the whole process, which takes a long time. You have to have a lot of conversations. You have to go and have a whole weekend where you have intense interviews to determine um, the character of different aspects of your life, from your emotional life, to your intelligence, to your sense of calling. And at the end of all of that, my bishop was like, okay, great. I want you to go and train in Durham. So I did. And now I'm in my curacy and serving as a priest.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, you said you you have this large family history of clergy Uh and then you seem to have had this natural proclivity for just being good at it. It seems like maybe the priesthood was in your blood all along.
1: Possibly. But I mean, I remember being about five years old and um, we had uh, dad worked with a couple of other priests in a team uh, of several churches. And one of those priests came over for dinner one evening. And I remember sort of sitting there and just asking them stories about, asking them questions about Bible stories. So I've always had that kind of, oh, okay, so how did this happen? What does that mean? And I've always had people around that we need to answer and feed that curiosity. And so when we talk about vocation, often it's for about in terms of priestly vocation. But I think people have vocations to different kinds of lives, whether as a teacher or a doctor or a mechanic or whatever, and anything that's going to be nurtured and developed You need to be able to be curious, you need to be able to ask questions, and you need people that would take the time to listen to you and help you explore those questions. And it just happened that that, for me, happened with the Bible and theology. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's kind of like,
0: you know, people aren't really created equal. Some people are better at some things than than others, uh, as far as aptitude goes. Um, you see these people who seem to have this natural affinity or ability to perform well at one thing versus another, and that ends up being something that they're quote-unquote called to, whether it be uh, by nature of repetition or just by, again, the aptitude of it, but uh, you you mentioned,
1: go ahead. I would say that Go ahead,
0: you're
1: fine. although I completely agree with that for vocations in general, I do think that there is a sense of um, more than that to callings to the priesthood. So, I mean, if you want, I can just tell you lots of stories from my life of time to a God's done stuff. Um, I'm trying to sort of <laughs> <laughs> steer the conversation onto the themes that we've talked about, but I mean, I had a moment where. Um, so while I was first studying theology, I was like, okay, well, all these other people around me are really good Christians and really on fire for stuff, and I'm, you know, I know stuff, but I'm not really that engaged with things, so I'm going to get into the habit of praying every night. And so that's what I did, I prayed every night before I went to bed, um, for friends, for people, for this, for that, and uh, nothing happened, like, nothing happened <laughs> And so I I remember there was this day where I was like, okay, well, nothing's happening, God. It's been like three months. So, I mean, i still pray when I go to church or chapel or whatever, but I'm not going to pray every night before I go to bed. That seems like it's not really a thing that's working. Went to sleep, didn't think anything more of it. Um, The following day, we had a chapel service at the theological college midday. And on my way out from that, this large uh, black Pentecostal lady came up to me and she was like, Sam, Sam, I need to talk to you. I'm like, alright, what's going on here? I haven't really had much of a conversation with her before and she's like, Sam, I had a dream about you. And I was like, where is this going? Like, What? <laughs> really confusing. And she was like, no, I had a dream about you and I dreamt that you were praying next to your bed before you went to sleep and you said you were going to stop praying. And I was like, And then I heard God say to me, I need you to tell Sam that I hear his prayers and that he should keep on praying. And she was like, okay, so I'm telling you, but God told me in this dream, you have to keep praying. And I was just completely blown away because I hadn't mentioned it to any friends, I hadn't mentioned it to anyone else. I just kind of like in my mind, just given up rather than being like, I'm not going to do it. And so that was a really powerful experience in sort of some sort of unknown knowledge being known. And it was exactly the thing that I needed to hear that my prayers mattered. And um, so that's sort of been a big part of listening for God in different areas.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a big part of committing to any kind of faith is to have that faith validated in some way or another, Um, at least for most people, whether it be, Uh, like what happened with you or, you know, someone says, you know, I prayed and I prayed uh, for a resolution to something and then it happened or Mm -hmm. I was worried about something. I prayed about it. It turned out to be fine. And then, you know, in their head, they make that connection. Well, my prayer must've worked, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, and and, and it's going to be something different for everyone. You know, I've had conversations with people who, Uh, like you say you have had someone come up to them and said hey you know I had this dream uh, you know in the same situation to what you had I've had others that say I was sitting by myself in my room ready to put a gun in my mouth and I heard the voice of God or I heard a voice or an angel or something something some kind of moment at the exact right time that it was needed something happened and people you know you, that, that validated their search and quest for faith. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, the route that society seems to be taking today, growing more and more secular? Uh, people are uh, almost with a sense of zealotry, also pun intended, becoming more uh, secular uh, in their views of the world. And I, I, to me, the, the secular kind of attitude seems to be on trend with a nihilistic kind of point of view. You know, they think that nothing at all matters. They haven't injected any kind of meaning into anything in their lives. But, you know, even, you know, I am uh, a spiritual person. Uh, I find meaning and I can't quite wrap my head around the nihilistic point of view uh, of things that nothing matters and everything is just going downhill anyway enjoy the burn is that something that uh has come up quite a bit with your uh with uh your congregation your service you have that those kind of concerns being brought to you
1: um well so my my immediate context churches that we have um the congregation are primarily older and have been christians for a long time so normally the questions are phrased in the sense of what is it that the younger generation is doing like they they, they don't it's not the same worldview so i think that what you're talking about is being witnessed um by my congregation but not necessarily experienced by my congregation in the same sense that said i have had plenty of contact with people over you know the last few years Um, who are our generation and who are much more wrestling with these kind of issues. And so my experience of it is generally it's a a plea for reasonableness. It's like by being neutral, you're being respectful of this and that. And so to be secular means that the, the Muslim and the Christian and the scientist Um, All have equal respect, but perhaps there are certain things which we need in order to underpin that respect, such as often comes across, which is a view that science um, doesn't need any form of spirituality or faith to help, or that there are certain things, perhaps in the way you just said, certain religious experiences can be explained away as people making connections amongst themselves which from a Christian perspective, from my perspective as a priest, I don't think is quite right. But where the conversation is going, which I find interesting, it links back to our earlier opening with worldviews and how do you ground your sense of self. Um, I think a lot of the nihilistic side of things and the nothingness comes from a lack of somethingness. And it comes from not having that anchored framework which enables you to operate within the world with your principles. And part of that is this lie that we can have secular values as they are, rather than acknowledging that the majority of secular values are actually Christian values, which we have inherited as a society, which we've then taken away the divine root of. So we go, okay, I'm going to put God to one side And I'm going to say, love your neighbor, Um, you know, don't be an idiot, be nice to people, be kind. And they take all of that and it's kind of, this is what Nietzsche was really talking about when he talks about the death of God and how people don't understand it. It's because when God dies, if that's the foundation for how you can know anything, then you need to build your whole system from uh, metaphysics all the way up. So how do you know stuff, extrapolate out and build your system and your framework? So I think that a lot of secularism is just inherited Christianity without the spiritual content. And that's not really worth having in my view. You do better, to be honest, and do the Nietzschean Superman thing of building your construction of the world around you entirely based on what you can do
0: yeah you know i I bring that up several times with some people that i have conversations with you know the only thing they ever take from that uh quote from nietzsche is the god is dead part and they take that to mean this you know literally they don't take it uh as metaphor for the death of faith as a whole society uh, a, a lack of dependency on, on faith. Um, and you know, throughout history, we've, we've seen that if a faith falls in a society, and it, it can be any particular faith, if a faith wanes uh, throughout society as a whole, the society begins this downward spiral until it's no more. I mean, you can look at the Roman Empire you know when they changed over from the uh greek and, uh greco-roman paganism to christianity after uh what was it constantinople uh yeah. decided you know what this is enough we've had it we got a lot of christians showing up so i guess we're going to convert to this because i'm a good businessman and that it kind of it kind of alienated a lot of uh the the die hard faithful of the pagan religions and it led to a splitting Hmm. and it was kind of like you know a house divided against itself cannot stand and it just and when you have a society with where you see hours where you have these pockets of the faithful and it's still a pretty good size versus this seemingly tidal wave of secularism sweeping over, you see a lot more of the divide and that's when you start to see things kind of spiral downhill
1: out of control. Yeah. I mean, first off, I mean, obviously people are skeptical about Constantine and his conversion, whether or not it was true, but he did claim supernatural um, vision of the victory that he was going to get in his battle. Um, There's a couple of different accounts of it, but that's fair enough. But the thing that's often overlooked in that period of time, is how intimate theology was with politics. Um, at that, around that sort of era, there was lots of discussions happening about the official um, Christian doctrines of faith. People had experienced Jesus being alive and then dead and then alive, and then disappeared. Um, and people were living out their faith and trying to piece it all together. And uh, actually, Constantine was one of the people that brought together the councils that sort of set out the creeds and what people believe. But the, I don't think it's as easy to split uh, the divide between those who were attached to the previous gods and those who were attached to the Christian gods. It's more that actually there was quite a lot of divides amongst Christians as to how things should go or not. Um, that had a, a lot of an impact on different politics of fingers as well um but the overall point that when you have the divided house it starts to crumble is i mean i agree with that i'm not entirely sure what the end game will be with the secularism because i don't think that secularism can ever be an end point in and of itself those who take its principles will fragment and align themselves with one another, then it will become very much activist based, I think. What causes do you care about? And by caring for stuff, that's where you get meaning. And I think that as soon as an objective is met, it's going to then no longer have the urge, it will never be enough. Once you've achieved equality in one area, there's another area where things need tackling and this is now outrageous. And we've seen that in this, the last couple of years between 2016 and 2020. Each year, there's been a different thing that people are focused on, like, we need to achieve this, we need to achieve that. And 2021 there's going to be another thing that people need to achieve in 2022 will be a different thing. You will look back on, oh, well, you know, in 2020 they did this, but it's an interesting sense of perspective.
0: Yeah. Um, I, see, that, that reminds me of Victor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you've yeah. read that. I haven't read it, but, but I'm familiar with it. Well, in it, he talks about you know man's need for explanation, man's need for meaning uh, in his life. And I think it's kind of ironic while we have this wave of secularism taking over many of those. And I would venture to say the majority of those uh, that are a part of the secularist movement uh, are constantly trying to find the next thing for them to believe in, because it's not sustainable on its own. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you see these uh, quote unquote uh, social justice warrior causes that they'll take up. Well, now we have to vehemently advocate uh, and believe in X so that X can happen. And then when that's done, they need something else. Uh, I don't think it's possible to go through life not believing in something or having that just that need, that inner need to fuel uh, that just desire for some kind of meaning in something. And so, like you said, the secularism can't be the end point of it. I, I believe it's more cyclic, you know. Uh, I'm a pagan. And, you know, we believe that everything is cyclic from the beginning to the end to the rebirth. It's like the uh, the arborist asp. Uh, It's constant death and regrowth. Yeah. Um, And you see that kind of parallel with what, you know, I was just saying with the secularism constantly seeking the next thing to believe in. They find that new thing that, you know, that's the birth of it. And then they just fight and fight and fight and fight until they get it. And that's the growth. And then when it's over and they've achieved it, it dies. And they're now searching for the next thing. And I think it's kind of ironic that the secularists are searching for something to believe in while kind of admonishing any kind of belief.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the cyclical idea is an interesting one, but I think that one of the reasons why I don't think it works quite as you've just described is because you're articulating it from your perspective, which is not as a secular perspective. Um, I think that perhaps if secularism had a more intentional cyclical uh, cycle, it would potentially be healthier. I, I think it's more inclined to go along with the progressive uh, history idea that you find in Hegel, where everything is essentially on a on a line graph, just constantly improving, and so you have this idea that when you look back at the Egyptians, they were kind of dumb, and then uh, the Greeks were a bit more intelligent and the Romans were a bit cleverer, and then you get to the medieval ages and the enlightenment, and humanity is finally leveling up and ranking up. And now we've got electricity and technology, things are improving and things are getting better and better and we'll be in space and we'll conquer the whole universe and that's the way that it's going. And I think you can do that on the microcosm as well as, you know, we achieve one thing and then we need more. We achieve ten thousand likes on Instagram for the first time. Now I need a hundred thousand. I achieve ten thousand followers on YouTube, now I need to expand, I need to diversify, I need more, I need more, I need more. Because somewhere in this I'm gonna find meaning. But The more we study and look at, say, the Egyptians, the more we're like, actually, they're much cleverer than we perhaps initially thought. We still don't know how they built pyramids and things. You look at the skulls and the drawings and sort of ancient human remains and stuff, and you realize, say, through the Iliad and uh, the Greek epics, humanity and the way that we handle emotions and family dynamics and dramas and the question of meaning, It's very much the same then, if not better than some of us can do it now. So this idea of it constantly, progressively improving incrementally, I think is flawed. And all it's going to take is one more World War or something. You know, you have that famous quote of Einstein. I don't know what World War Three is going to be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. The exponential line of progress isn't necessarily going to actually get us anywhere and i think that that's the underlying uh narrative that secularism falls into and so the question for those who are secular is what will it take for you to be content i think that for those who are pagans um they have their own ways of articulating that but for those who are christians it's often a being content in your situation even as you hope for growth there's a lot in the scriptures about being content with a lot being content with not very much you can read through um 11 uh, ecclesiastes and you have this whole view of well everything is meaningless therefore just be content with your life love your wife do your work enjoy your food and be happy
0: yeah yeah i think that kind of falls into the uh the resurgence of uh, and well not really the resurgence but the development over time of stoicism uh stoicism kind of tends to be a little more this is fine or the uh <laughs> you know it's not gonna really matter in the end anyway kind of a feeling so i'm not gonna mm-hmm. let it affect me and those are you know of course that's the like extreme side of of it but the question that you ask you know what would it take for you to be content you know especially with the the graph that you just drew out with this progressive line of of uh, of improvement there's a cap on how far you can go before you have to build something else
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know i mean it's it's a terrible analogy but it's the first thing that comes to mind would be like the tower of babel You you can only go so high before it falls down and you have to rebuild. And I, and I think that that's kind of in line with, um, what I was saying. And again, this is just from my own perspective, uh, of, you know, they, they, the people who are very secular and latch onto these causes, they, they build it only so far until they achieve it. And there's an old saying that says success is a stale finale. So You know, it's kind of like Sisyphus, where the goal really isn't to get to the rock to the top of the mountain. It's to just the goal is to push the rock. And I think that's what they're looking for. I think they're looking for something that they can continuously uh, push without ever actually making it to the top. And I think faith uh, in really anything is one of those things. You can can just constantly push. You never have a – there is an end game, but you never fully achieve it. You know, whether it be, you know, with Christianity, the goal is to become more Christ like. Mm -hmm. You know, in in paganism, it's to, you know, honor the gods and live your life in a way that emulates them. Well, you can never fully achieve that. So you're never going to get that rock like Sisyphus to the top of the mountain and you're going to continuously push. You know, at least in this lifetime, in your life, you're never going to fully become Christ-like as a Christian.
1: I would clarify that slightly differently, um, which is one of the areas where I think Christianity is markedly different from some of the others. It's often framed as you need to get to heaven, Um, you need to get to the afterlife. But actually, if you're a Christian that believes in Jesus and you've been baptized, then you are there. You will be in. That's kind of the entrance. In is entrance into eternal life. And so, rather than trying to struggle through your life to get to the end point in order to get through the pearly gates, it's more like you've already inherited the access. But now you have to live out that inheritance. And what does that inheritance look like before we die? Well, often it looks like struggling. It looks like growth. It looks like trying to become more patient and content with ourselves, and becoming more Christ-like. But I think that's one of the things that actually helps uh, in the Christian faith to be content, because you have this idea of you've already been inducted into the love of God. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to get there, but rather you need to live it out and continue to grow within it and go deeper.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a great way of clarifying. <laughs> you know, I think uh, maybe what I was trying to allude to or this could be an afterthought um, is that in the struggle of mm. living out that inheritance that that is the constant push of the rock up the mountain yes.
1: you know. Yeah, uh, and for me one of the things that I found really helpful is this idea that all of the things that I struggle with and all the things I'm suffering with is to an extent a participation in the suffering that Christ suffered for me so it's not that like I can add anything to it, but when things are difficult, I have various health conditions that cause um, issues. I mean, I can't drive because of my eyes. I'm deaf, as I mentioned earlier. When those things are weighty and difficult, there's a sense of, okay, but I'm doing this struggle alongside, in and with, and through Jesus. And uh, that really helps me to not just despair.
0: Yeah, you know, and it, it, you have that, you have that meaning that seems to be lacking in the secular society. And even going away from the point of, you know, the uh, the activists and the advocates and the social justice kind of side of things, just the ones that are seemingly semi nihilistic, uh, just going kind of going through the motions until it's all over. You know, we're here, we die. That's it. Kind of attitude. You see a lot of. Malcontent and unhappiness in these kinds of people because they don't have that particular meaning, so they're not able to you know identify their struggles with anything
1: mm-hmm. you know, they don't came, have something awesome to say comes.
0: right you know they think that this struggle is just a struggle, and they they kind of eat themselves mm. uh, with it. Because they don't have anything to attach it to. They don't have a purpose behind it. And I don't know, what do you think? Do you think that one of the main reasons we're seeing this uh, kind of a rise in a, uh, a secular movement of society is because people have decided to stop looking for meaning or they just don't know how to
1: look? I think it's much more the second. Um, people often say that atheism is increasing and that people don't have belief. In my experience is that that's true on the surface, but not in reality. And by that, I mean the amount of times that I get into conversations with people at pubs and they look at my hair and they, uh, if it, particularly if I'm not wearing a dog collar um, and they find out that I'm a priest or that I've studied theology, they're like, oh, wait, what, you're, you're a priest? Like, how does that work? And then you end up having some interesting conversations. So they sort of, they normally ask the, you know, Um, at one point it was like so you're not having sex before you get married and I was like no Um, you know like can you can you drink and I'm like yes that's why I'm in a pub (laughs) Um, you know those kind of conversations and once all of those like little questions are out of the way then they go can I talk to you about something or can I ask you a question or you know and they start talking about their grand, or their grandfather or um, perhaps their partner had a miscarriage or something happened once, which was kind of spooky, but they felt peaceful and they don't know how to explain it. Or maybe they were out and just felt that the world was so beautiful and they're on a walk. That there must be something more, but how, how does that work? And so what I experience is very rarely people going, I don't believe. But it's more, I don't know how to believe and I don't know what it is I would believe. And I think that that's a different kind of nuance conversation. So I, I'm, I'm of the mind that most people just don't know how to look for meaning, or aren't, if they have the curiosity, they don't have the people available to help feed that curiosity and help them to explore it further.
0: Yeah, you know, like we mentioned earlier, you know, people crave patterns and they crave connections and being able to, you know, like put the jigsaw puzzle together to see the bigger picture. But I think oftentimes people kind of feel like they're putting the jigsaw puzzle together when it's upside down and they don't know what colors to match with what. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, you know, it's just like this morning I had posted on Twitter, you know, up before dawn, listening to the songs of the birds and the calling of the Corvids and hearing the woodpeckers rattling in the trees and random dog barking. You know, it's moments like that that I have to be conscious of my effort to seek out the meaning of something, whether it be you know that's kind of like my meditative mm-hmm. time uh, yeah. sitting on my porch with my dog smoking my pipe and drinking my coffee. you know it's It really is hard to believe that we've got it all figured out. and so being conscious and taking those moments to just reflect and I don't think people have a lot of time to do that nowadays in their rush daily lives and with Mm -hmm. social media and in the news media being blasted at them constantly you know I don't think they have time or at least they don't make the time a priority to sit down and reflect on what meaning you know there is Mm -hmm. and so maybe they just don't know how to quite articulate it Uh, In those instances like what you just described, you know, they don't know how to articulate what it meant. So they just brush it off as I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I don't have time.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's something that happens to everyone um, to a greater or lesser extent. You know, you wake up, you get the kids to school, you get off to your job, traffic's bad. Okay, uh, what's this email about? What's going on? You get through your day. You've worked hard. Um, You get home, you have to deal with some family thing, you have to deal with the house or there's a bill or something that's come through. Before you know it, you sat down in the evening, maybe you get half an hour with your wife or something and then you're off to bed and then you wake up and it all happens. Where in that am I supposed to find time to sit and be zen and contemplative about life? It's very easy to do and I think that it's one of the things that Christian men struggle with as well, um, because they find that they don't feed their faith. And it's interesting having conversations with men uh, that sort of reach out and go, hey, like, I am a Christian, I do believe all of this stuff, but how do I nurture that? And at the end of the day, it comes down to that making, you have to carve out time for it, like you do in the morning when you're having your coffee and your pipe and you're listening to the birds. Maybe that's not every day. Maybe that's once a week. Maybe it's once a month. But it's a step. But I had another point and I've just lost it. What was it? something you said a moment ago that I was going to come back to you, that I liked. It'll come back to me. We'll see.
0: Uh, it happens. I do that all the time. It's a byproduct. <laughs> you said something of I general.
1: liked, and I was like, oh, I want to riff on that. I want to riff on that, because that was really cool, and now I've lost it.
0: <laughs> well, I can't rewind it while we're live, but... No, <laughs> that's fair. Now, so... What do you think needs to happen uh, in the lives of those uh, who are like you just described, going through their daily motions, and by the end of it, they just don't have the time? What do you think they need to do to or even in those instances like what you had described, where, you know, they have something happened, and they're not quite sure how to articulate it or rationalize it in their mind. Mm and. I believe that rationalizations and pragmatism is uh, part of the problem uh, when it comes to actually having a faith. But uh, what do you think we need on a societal level uh, to kind of quench that thirst that people seem to have for meaning?
1: I think society at the moment seems to be taking more of a look in trying to encourage people to have good mental health. And I think that's a positive development, um, of partly because it creates space for people to reflect and think. Um, but I think that to limit it just to mental health is not quite enough. You need to take that time and use that as a stepping stone to also be able to reflect on your spiritual health, to think about whether it's things like the birds and the sunshine and the, the sun. Um You sort of see glimpses of it with things like mindfulness and being present in the moment. Um, Are you still there? Yes, I am. Are you still there? Did you lose me?
0: No, I did not lose you.
1: Uh, I lost you for a moment. Um, So the mindfulness stuff offers up an opportunity to be more present in the moment. But I think that you need to be able to go beyond just being present in the moment and to be able to reflect on the, the narrative of life and why you're finding the meaning of what gives your life contentment. And so I think that it's not a case that society is completely wrong to focus on mental health, that's not what I'm saying. But it's a good starting point to go but not to be limited to. Um, I think that creating more space in our lives in general is um, something to be cherished and focused on. So, for instance, uh, the times where you could live on a single income is, you know, for most people now out of reach. So, both parents and a family have to work often. If we can regain that sense of work life balance, then I think that people will have the space to engage in meaning. That doesn't really help those that are stuck in the constant onslaught of this is what I had to do. And I think that for them, often it's a random conversation with someone like me in the pub in a spare moment where they are blowing off steam, where they suddenly get a small little space created to be able to oh, now I have permission to think about this thing for five minutes. And so that means, I guess, my overall conclusion is I think you need more priests like me to actually be willing to create those opportunities and spaces and christians as well because it's not just for the priests to do but for all christian folks so if you're out there and you're listening to me and you want to know what you can do to help society do better and to not just get trapped in this ever-going sisyphus-like progressive need more need more need more cycle then just have time for one another and create the space for people to think
0: Yeah. I I couldn't have said that better. Um, and I like how you tooted your own horn there a little bit, find more priests like you, (laughs) uh, you, you've actually kind of, uh, been my go-to when I, you, you are our, our, our mutual friend, Adam, I've been my go-to when it comes to questions and conversations like this. And cool thing about being outside, this is the rugged legacy podcast. You get to hear all kinds of random noises. Uh, (laughs) Um, no I I guess I guess finding that meaning uh, the first step like you said would be to make time for it Uh, especially in a world where no one really has time for anything anymore they're constantly engaged with all these different stimuli and Mm -hmm. um, they're not so much engaged with themselves as they are with the rest of the world. But we're coming up on the uh, one hour mark. Uh, You didn't have to remember that point now, did you?
1: No, I didn't. But I think what I would want to say is that this whole theme of secularism, it really comes back to the first principles that we opened our conversation by talking about, which is having the integrity to um, live through your life so if you can find your set of principles and you can live those principles out with integrity then you will find you've got a, an inbuilt compass to navigate your way through this world now for me i think that that's uh found through jesus through god through everything that i believe that he's done for us and i would want to encourage people that if they are pursuing any sort of relationship with god whether they're questioning and i don't really know whether listening to this podcast is creating a space for them to go oh wait well that's interesting. Um, Make the time and ask those you know who are Christians or pray and ask God and maybe something will happen and when it comes to what we can do in society ask yourself this question and I think this is the core question I'm settling on from this whole conversation is what does it mean to be content and how are you going to find that contentment? That's is very good. That's kind of my parting like. question for you, your homework. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, then feel free. It's Samuel S. Thorpe. I'll plug myself now. Um, I'm there on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I will respond to messages, even if only slowly. Um, and there's plenty of people out there that are also more than willing to have those conversations. So what do you need to do to be content? Well, I would say find faith, live out faith, find a good priest, be able to ask them questions and let them Encourage your curiosity, but also have these conversations with other people that think different things like Jeff
0: Yeah uh, You know theologically you and I couldn't be more different but ideology, you know ideologically uh, we you know we pair up and I think it's because the both of us have uh, some sort of faith and ethos and a uh, an internal code mm-hmm. that we set parameters and boundaries in our lives
1: with yeah. and i think we also have a shared commitment when you have to, we have a shared commitment to living the best lives that we can and that's not in a yolo kind of way right that's in a how do i deal with my diet better how do i love my family better how do i create memories for those that i love how do i provide for them how do I become the kind of man that other men want to be like? Not because I want to have the fame and the glory, but because I want to be content and satisfied with my life when I get to the end. And your own story is a testament to that because you pulled yourself out of, you know, frankly, some dark and difficult situations and you are becoming an inspiration to many other men around you. And it's that shared sense of commitment to how do I live my life better and how do I do so with integrity? that's kind of at the heart of all of the things we're talking about here in secularism. So I'm just going to say on behalf of many of your other listeners, thank you, Jeff, for being who you are and having these conversations and for expressing that same commitment to growth across a whole variety of themes and topics with your different guests.
0: Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think the the art of conversation uh, is dead because people get a little too Uh, religious, also another intended pun, uh, in their own points of views, and they lack the ability to see nuance or at least parallels in other views uh, in which they could probably strengthen theirs Mm. and maybe straighten out some kind of questions um, that, you know, whatever they may have, but I think that's a good spot to leave this one, so... Sam, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I've actually got a lot to think about <laughs> from this. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, like he mentioned earlier, if you want to follow Sam or connect with him on Twitter, it's at Samuel S. Thorpe. Mm-hmm. That's S-A-M-U-E-L-S-T-H-O-R-P. Uh,
1: and I want to That's thank you all for listening. All so. That's, yeah. Uh, are you on Instagram? I don't know if you're on Instagram. I am on Instagram. I don't post very much, but I'm present. Okay. Hmm. Um, Mainly stained with windows and things from church.
0: <laughs> yes, I do, I, do, I, I do remember now. You had uh, posted a, a photo of a chest uh, that had belonged to Athelstan.
1: Yes, it's just, like a thousand-year-old yeah. chest, which is really cool. Thousand-year-old
0: chest just sitting there out in the open in the in the middle in the back of the church where anybody can walk over and sit on it and touch it, <laughs> whatever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite. Sorry, this is my last little thing. One of my favorite things to do with all my New American friends is to talk to them about how old various items are in our churches. So we have things that are over a thousand years old. You know, I, my first sermon was preached from a pulpit that was six hundred years old. And your country is only just getting started, like, that's my Britishness coming out, but it does amuse
0: me. Yeah, that's all right. I'm still going to hold 1776 over your head. <laughs> and and 1812, I'll, I'll hold that over your uh-huh. head.
1: All of it is, that's yeah. fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for those of you listening, if you enjoyed this conversation, uh, be sure to Click subscribe, and you can do it on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and about five others. Uh, It's available on every single platform that is one of the major ones for listening to podcasts. Um, Coming up on the next uh, few episodes, I've got Hunter Drew of the Fraternity of Excellence. I have uh, Tanner Guzzi, who is a uh, fashion men's fashion coach. I can help you get your style underway. And then also next week, I have Jack Donovan, the author of The Way of Men, Becoming a Barbarian, and a More Complete Beast. Uh, If you haven't heard anything of his works, just Google Jack Donovan and you will find everything you need to know about him. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Rugged Legacy podcast. I thank you all for listening. And if you're going to do anything today, Make sure you do it productively. Thank you all. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm ruggedlegacy and click on the support icon. Wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy
1: production.